Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. So good morning to you folks. Glad we can gather again uh, on this Tuesday and open the Word of God and allow Him to speak right into our hearts. Uh, so um, let me do this. Let's stretch first. That's a, a good tradition to open up the body and uh, also to lift your hands to the Lord. And good to see each of you here uh, today as we come to the Lord. So most important, let's pray uh, that the Lord would open our hearts and our minds. And I saw a prayer request. Uh, I think I see Jen Rosher here uh, that her dad is going through a really hard time. Uh, so let's pray also uh, for both of them. Okay, let's pray. Father, we just want to come today <clears throat> into your presence, Lord. We know uh, you've been here before we even woke up. And we thank you, Lord, for your word, uh, that it's a lamp to our feet, Lord. It's a guide. It's an inspiration. And Lord, as we open these pages, we're just praying, Lord, that you would breathe on them. Make them come alive uh, to each of us. I pray, Lord, you would highlight those areas uh, that uh, we particularly, individually, need to hear from your word. So, Holy Spirit, thank you. You're an amazing teacher, and we just want to open our ears to you, including myself. We also lift up Jen Rauscher's dad, Lord, as he's going through a harder time physically. And we just pray for Jen as well, Lord, that your spirit would be with both of them and that you would uh, be a source of peace and a source of strength to them, Lord. So we put them into your care and we thank you for touching them and for touching each one here on the screen. And it's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, <laughs> away we go. Deuteronomy chapter one. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah opposite Sup, between Paran and Topiel and Laban and Hazarot and Dizahab. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Bernar. And it came about in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all the Lord had commanded him to give to them. After he had defeated Sinan, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Asroth and Ariria, across the Jordan and the land of Moab, Moses undertook to expound this law, saying, and here he goes, The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, saying, You've stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and set your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah and the hill country and the lowland and the Nebgah and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon 
as far as the great river Euphrates. See, I have placed the land before you. Go in and possess the land, which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to them and their descendants after them. And I spoke to you at that time, saying, I'm not able to bear the burden of you alone. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousandfold more than you are, and bless you just as he has promised you. How can I alone bear the load and burden of you and your strife? Choose wise and discerning and experienced men from your tribes, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me and said, the thing which you've said to do is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and appointed them heads over you, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and officers for your tribes. Then I charged your judges at that time, saying, hear the cases between your fellow countrymen, and judge righteously between a man and his fellow countrymen, or the alien who's with you. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not fear man. For the judgment is God's. In the case is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I'll hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. Then we set out from Harb and went through all that great and terrible wilderness, which you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, just as the Lord our God had commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Benir. And I said to you, you've come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is about to give us. See, the Lord your God has placed the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has spoken to you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you approached me and said, let us send men before us that they may search out the land for us and bring back to us the word of the way by which we should go up and the cities which we shall enter. And the thing pleased me. And I took 12 of your men, one man from each tribe. And they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Ascol and spied it out. Then they took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. They brought us back a report and said, it's a good land, which the Lord our God is about to give us. Yet, you were not willing to go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you grumbled in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he's brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have made our hearts melt, saying, the people are bigger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified to heaven. And besides, we saw the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, do not be shocked. Don't fear them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, just as a man carries his son and all the way which you've walked until you came to this place. But for all this, you did not trust the Lord your God, who goes before you on your way. 
to seek out a place for you to encamp in fire by night and cloud by day, to show you the way in which you should go. Then the Lord heard the sound of your words, and he was angry and took an oath, saying, Not one of these men, this evil generation, shall see the good land which I swore to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jehemelin, and he shall see it. And to him and to his sons, I will give the land on which he has set foot, because he has followed the Lord fully. The Lord was angry with me also on your account, saying, Not even you shall enter there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter there. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your sons, who this day have no knowledge of good or evil, shall enter there, and I'll give it to them, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn around, set out for the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. Then you answered and said to me, we've sinned against the Lord. We have indeed will go up and fight just as the Lord our God has commanded us. And every man of you girded on his weapons of war and regarded it as easy to go up into the hill country. And the Lord said to me, say to them, do not go up nor fight, for I am not among you, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, but you would not listen. Instead, you rebelled against the command of the Lord and acted presumptuously and went up into the hill country. And the Amorites who lived in the hill country came out against you, and they chased you as bees do and crushed you from Seir of Hormath. Then you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice nor give ear to you. So you remained in Kadesh many days, the days that you spent there. Okay, um, as we jump in here and get into Deuteronomy chapter one, <clears throat> let me just give you a quick overview. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy was written by Moses, and it was written just before the Israelites were going to enter into the promised land. And before they enter in, it's like he says, look, I want to I give you a message. So before you cross over, the Jordan River, I want to give you another reminder so that you do things properly and don't, in a sense, mess up your life like you've already done before. So Moses gives, in a sense, these sermons. And basically, what I hear him saying is two things. Israelites, you got to learn to trust the Lord. You got to learn to trust him. And not only do you need to learn to trust him, you need to learn to obey him. And that's kind of where we're going to go today on those two things. Uh, we may not hit every single verse, but I want to drive those points home because what Moses said to Israel back there is what God's saying to us today, you and I. We need to learn to trust the Lord fully and to obey him fully. So, uh, I'm going to jump in here on verse 9, uh, just to give a little leadway before we look at those themes of trust and obey. First, there's a point I think that's helpful, uh, and Moses says this in verse 9. 
He said, I spoke to you at that time saying, I am not able to bear the burden of you. I mean, he had, from what we understand, possibly two to three million Israelites that he's navigating through the, the whole desert situation. Uh, that's enough to drive anybody off the edge. And he said, I'm not able to bear you alone. And then he talks about God's blessing. The Lord your God has multiplied you. Behold, you are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousandfold more than you are and bless you just as he promised. And then he says this again. How can I alone bear the load and burden of your strife? So God saying, you know, God's been faithful. He has multiplied you. And the Lord did say that. He said, Abraham, I'm going to multiply you. You're going to have many, 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 many descendants. And Moses says, God, you've been faithful, but God, I can't handle this. So you talk about a man that's about ready to burn out and fizz out. It was Moses. And, you know, the Lord comes through when we're in a jam. And Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, said, Moses, 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 you got to wake up. Because if you don't do something, you are going to fry yourself. And uh, if you want to jot down in Exodus chapter 18, uh, verses 13 to 21, Jethro gives advice to his son-in-law. And basically, Moses buys into it. He says, hey, that's a great idea. Uh, and Moses begins to implement what Jethro gave him in Exodus 18. So here's what Moses says. Choose wise and discerning and experienced men from your tribes, and I'll appoint them as your heads. And he goes on a little bit further. Um, and he says, verse 15, so I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men. I appointed them heads over you, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and officers for your tribes. Then I charged your judges at that time, and he tells the judges to hear justly. Uh, and then he says, uh, <clears throat> toward the end of 17, and the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. So when you have all these millions of Israelites and they have an issue with each other, okay, we still have that in our society. How do you figure out what's right, what's just? Moses says, I've got this chain of command and, you know, there's people over thousands, over hundreds, fifties, da, 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 da. He says, let them handle all these issues because I can't oversee all these people. But Moses says, if they can't handle it, all this chain of command doesn't handle it. Then he said, here, in the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring it to me, and I'll hear it. So what I hear the Lord saying to us is sometimes responsibilities that come on our table, sometimes they're just way too much for us. And if we try to handle these issues on our own, we are literally going to burn out. And the Lord through Jethro, basically says to Moses and says to us, hey, you've got to learn to get, delegate and share the responsibilities with other people and not try to do it all by yourself. So I would just say, just as a quickie, I don't know where you're at, but if some of you feel like you're just like way over the edge and you've got way too much on your plate, 
uh, then you might want to look at what Jess Roy said. Hey, if you could delegate responsibilities, begin to hand them off to other people so that other people can help carry the load. Because if we do too much, then we get frustrated, we get tired, uh, we get itchy, we get grumpy, uh, and not a good picture. So very clearly, if you can delegate responsibilities so that you're not overwhelmed, then do that. <clears throat> so if you look uh, at verse 19, uh, I'd like us to look at that first. It says here, uh, Moses says, then we set out from Horeb, you know, where they had the Ten Commandments, God appears, all that stuff, okay? We set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrible wilderness, which you saw, on the way to the hill country of the Amorites. Just as the Lord our God had commanded us, we came to Kadesh Barnea. He said, Israelites, do you remember? He's reflecting back on this journey. In the wilderness, and believe me, the wilderness over there is not a pretty place. It's a desert. It's barren. Uh, it's tough. Uh, it's it is not a pleasant, relaxing journey. It is tough, tough terrain. And basically, the Bible says God tested the people in the wilderness. God tested them to see what was in their heart. Because many times there's stuff inside of us. We have no clue. It's there. It's not pretty. Uh, it's getting in the way of our walk with the Lord. And the way God helps us is sometimes he allows a test to expose to us the barrier that he sees, but we don't see. So God tests them. Uh, and in many cases, they fail the test. In fact, almost all the cases, they drop the ball. Um, so I think we need to realize, folks, that we also are passing through a wilderness here. I mean, we are blessed, blessed in America, blessed where we live, but life is not easy, and life isn't, isn't something you just kind of glide through. You know there's struggles, there's battles. We live in a fallen, broken world, and because we live in a fallen, broken world, we need to realize life is not always going to just glide through with us. Sometimes we have the impression, oh, life should be easy. We shouldn't have problems, particularly for a Christian. I made a commitment to Jesus. Life should just be nice, smooth sailing. That is not a biblical concept of how life actually is. We're told very clearly in Acts chapter 14, 22, Paul says this. Through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, meaning between now and the day that the Lord calls us home, there are going to be tribulations. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be struggles in our lives. Even Jesus said that in John 16, 33, he says, in the world, you will have tribulation. But take courage. I've overcome the world. So I think we just need to realize the Israelites had their struggles in the wilderness. You and I are going to have our struggles too. Life is not easy. It's hard. God's aware of that. But the Lord's using these struggles and these hard times in our lives 
to test us, to refine us, to mature us, and to grow us deeper in our walk with him. Now, when I'm looking at chapter one of Deuteronomy, I see God saying there's two primary tests uh, that I did with the Israelites. And I think God's saying, guess what? The same that happened to Israel back then is what I will be doing in your life in 2023. God's saying to them and to us, you've got to learn to trust me. You've got to learn to obey me. Uh, and we're going to unpack that a bit. Uh, so let's look at the idea of trusting. <clears throat> if you look at verse 8, Deuteronomy 1, 8, the Lord makes a statement, and in a sense, he makes a promise. <clears throat> verse 8, see, I planted the land before you, God's saying, go in, possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to them, and the descendants after them. So God saying through Moses to the Israelites, God said, I'm going to give you the land, the promised land. It is literally a promise of God to the people of Israel. He said, do it. And if you look at Genesis um, 12, 1 to 3, God said that way back. I'm going to give you the land. And Moses just repeats it. Yes, God said it. We need to be able to trust him. Uh, <clears throat> so we need to realize if God gives us a promise or if God gave the promise to Israel, he will come through. Let me give you a, a neat verse. It's, uh, a verse I've enjoyed over the years. It's Numbers 23, Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19. It says this, God's not a man. Uh, that he should lie, nor a son of man, that he should repent. And will he not make? Basically, God said, if I say it, you can bank on it. I am a faithful God. If I say something, I will perform it and I will carry it out. And if you look at verse 21, uh, Again, Moses repeats the promise of God. Verse 21, see the Lord your God has placed the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers has spoken to you. Don't fear or be dismayed. And he repeats that again uh, in verses 22 uh, and 25. Then all of you approached me and said, let us send men before us that we may search out the land for us, bring back to us the word uh, by the way which we should go up. And so basically, uh, I think what he's saying is, I am going to bring you in. Uh, and they asked, okay, good. You're going to bring us in. Let us go spy out the land so that we're ready to go when we get there. And they bring back a report uh, if you look at verse 25, uh, then they took some of the fruit of the land, the spies, in their hands. They brought it down to us. They brought us back a report and said, it's good land, which the Lord our God's about to give us. So, cool. We're going to possess the land. 
Let's spy it out. Let's make sure we know the right way to approach it and win the battle. They say the land's good. Everything is go. But uh, let me give you another scripture. But number 13 and verse 31. They said it's a good land. But and here's where they come up. Numbers 13, 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they're too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, the land which we have gone in, spying it out, is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. So they bring back a bad report. They basically say, guess what? We look like grasshoppers. It's a good land, but we can't handle it. We can't get in. These people are gigantic, and we're just like little grasshoppers in our own eyes. So they bring back a negative report. And what I hear the Lord saying is, uh, you know, I'm going to do it. I will bring you in. I will bring you in. No matter how big these people seem, I'll bring you in. Uh, and basically, the problem is Israel concentrated on the problem. And that's our issue, too, sometimes. We focus on the problem instead of God, who is speaking to us about the problem. So I would say to each of us, where's our focus? Where was their focus? Their focus was not on the promise that God made. It wasn't on God. The focus was on the problem, and the problem got this big, and in our situation sometimes, I think we can get so fixated on the problem, it gets like a big Goliath, and we're just wiped out. So basically, focus is a big, big deal. Um, look at uh, 121. Notice what the Lord said. See, the Lord your God has placed the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has spoken to you. Here it is. Do not fear or be dismayed. Do not fear or be dismayed. Uh, it, he repeats that in verse 29. Then I said to you, do not be shocked, nor fear them. Why? Why, Moses, are we not to fear? Why are we not to be dismayed? The answer is in verse 30. The Lord, your God, who goes before you, will himself fight on your behalf, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. I hear Moses saying, don't you get it, Israel? Don't you get it? God's going to fight the battle. He'll get you in. He'll wipe out these big enemies. Remember, Israel, the God we're talking about made the heavens and he made the earth. He's a big God. Remember, Israelites, he's the one that literally opened up the Red Sea and you walked through it. He did miracles. He did all kinds of miracles. I think Moses would say, look at else what he did. Look at 33. As they went through the wilderness, who goes before you on your way? to seek out a place for you to encamp in fire by night and a cloud by day to show you the way which you should go. I think I hear Moses saying, look, 
He made the heavens and the earth. He opened up the Red Sea. By the way, Israel, do you remember all these years that there was this pillar of fire uh, and a, that led us at night and a pillar of a cloud during uh, the day that God guided us? Uh, Israelites, do you remember the manna? Do you remember what God did? He provided that. Uh, Israelites, do you remember the days that you whined and complained and I allowed quail to fall in your midst and you ate well? Uh, Israel, I, do you remember the time that I struck the rock and water came pouring out and God supplies all that you needed? And I just hear Moses saying, listen, Israel, God has been faithful. Remember what he did. And basically, God's saying the same thing to us. Do you know what I've done to prove who I am? I'm not asking you to step. People say blind faith. It's not blind faith, folks. Study the word of God, and you'll see what God has done over and over and over in the Old and the New Testament. God said, I've proven myself over and over historically to show you I'm for you and that it's good to trust me. Here's the sad thing, verse 32. But for all this, for all these signs and all these miracles and all these proofs I've given you, Israel, and even to us today, he says, for all this, you did not trust the Lord your God. How sad it is. They missed it. And if you look at Hebrews chapter 3, 19, if you want an amazing study in the Bible, read Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews 3, 19, it says, so we see Paul saying that they were not able to enter where the promised land. Why? Because of their unbelief. They failed to enter because of their unbelief. And friends, I think their problem back then, human nature is what it is. It was the same there. It's the same now. Their issue is our issue. They didn't trust, and they failed to enter into the full blessings of God. And the challenge is for us today. Will we trust God to be able to fully experience the blessings he has for us? So how can we avoid what they did? How can we avoid the unbelief? How can we avoid not experiencing the abundant life that Jesus came to live for and die for for us? Well, I think for me, when I'm thinking that over, I think there's two things that we need to do. Number one, watch our focus. Watch our focus. Where does our mind go? <clears throat> Excuse me. Is our focus on the problems of our life? Hey, folks, we're going to have problems to the day we die. As I said, we're in a broken, fragmented world. Problems are going to be there, and they're going to knock at your door every day of your life. I mean, once in a while, you have some days problem-free, but that's not the norm. Life usually has its issues. So where's your focus? Is it on the problem or is it on the answer? Is your focus on the mountain or on the mountain mover? I think a picture of that would be like Peter in the New Testament. Jesus says, hey, Peter, come to me on the water. And Peter steps out of the boat and he starts walking on water. And as long as he's looking at the Lord, 
as long as his focus is on the Lord, he's doing the impossible. But when he takes his eyes off the Lord, onto the problem, onto the sea that's making all this noise and uh, commotion, Peter begins to sink. And I think that holds true for you and I as well. As long as we look to the Lord, as long as we focus on the Lord, we're able to do the impossible. We're able to see God move in a mighty way in our lives. But when we focus on the negative, we begin to slip. So I think to avoid unbelief, number one, watch your focus. And that's a, a, a thing that we just need to be aware of through the day. Where is my focus? Is it on the problem? Is it on this frustrations? Or is it on the God who's so much bigger than these issues? I think the second thing, if you want to burn out unbelief, then get to know God in a very deep and personal and intimate way. I'm not talking just about an intellectual understanding of God. I'm talking about an experiential relationship with the Lord, where he becomes real to you, not just a doctrine in a book written back there somewhere, but literally that he becomes the living God to you right now in the present tense. There's a verse that I like many times that I go back to. It's in Psalm 9, verse 10. Those who know thy name will put their trust in thee. Let me say it again. Those who know thy name, thy character will put their trust in thee. So our trust level is proportional to our understanding of God level and our intimacy level. The more we know God, the more we'll trust him. Okay. And that's, that's just the way it is in relationships. You think about people in your life. Who do you trust? Okay, who, who are you willing to trust to the end? It's somebody that you know well. Somebody that's proven themselves faithful uh, and consistent and steady through their interactions with you. We just don't trust anybody because we've all been hurt. We've all been let down by people. So in a sense, we kind of size up people as we go through life. And some we say they're unreliable. I mean, they said they do this. They don't do it. So we, we're, I'm not going to really trust them. But for people that have been steady and consistent, you begin to say they're a, they're a person of their word. And if their word says it, it's as good as done. So I hear the Lord saying, if you really get to know me, just the way you would get to know a human being, if you get to know me intimately and personally, the more you know me, it's going to be a natural consequence that you will then learn to trust me because it's just, just the way interrelationships work. So then how do you get to know God? Uh, it says this in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing. You've heard it, right? Faith comes. You need faith? How does faith? Faith comes. Faith is given. How? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay? So if you want to have a stronger faith, get to know God personally. How do you get to know God? You read the word and you see who he said he is. 
and you see how he interrelates with people in the Bible. The more we get to see him in the book, the more we're willing to put our trust in him. It's so, so important to have a correct image of God. The Bible is very clear. It says he's a loving father. And when I put that in practical terms, I look at my own love for my own kids. Your own flesh and blood, man, you would do anything for your kids. If you're a mother, if you're a father, you'll do anything for your kids. There's just something in our DNA that says that. If I, as a human being, that drops the ball and I'm afraid all the time, if I have that instinct as a father, how much more will our heavenly father be on our side and for us and not be against us? What about Jesus? <clears throat> he says he's the good shepherd, and he doesn't just whip that statement out. He proves it, and we saw it on Good Friday where he literally pours out his life blood to put our broken lives back together. Jesus is for us. And the Holy Spirit, again, is the faithful one who lives in us. And when we mess up and sin, he doesn't just take off and say, I'm done with you. He's there. He stays with us to support us, to comfort us, to guide us, to lead us, to teach us all these things. That is basically who God is. But, you know, Satan loves to distort the image of God, because if he can distort the image of God in your mind, you're not going to trust in him. <clears throat> so if you look at verse 27, <clears throat> look at the Israelites. Here's what they said. He said, you grumbled in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he's brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. So basically... The Israelites said, hey, God hates us. Look, he brought us from the Mount Horeb. He's led us in this miserable, stinky desert. And we're going to be wiped out if we go into land. This is a, not a good God. He's a bad God. Satan loves to interject thoughts in our brains. Think of it. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden are walking in the presence of Almighty God. And Satan puts the thought in their minds. Has God said about eating the tree? Satan is dropping a little doubt in their minds. And, you know, God's not really good. He's, he's really holding out on you. You do better doing your own thing than doing what he asked you to do. Right in the beginning, Satan puts these little seeds of doubt. And I guarantee you, uh, and I don't think I'm unique, when you go through the ringer and the hard times and you're getting crushed by life, I hear the devil put in, oh, boy, God seems pretty cruel. He seems pretty unkind. Look, if he's so loving, why is he letting you go through this hell, this terrible problem in your life? So Satan will always try to distort the image of God. But we have to go back to the word and say, okay, who is God? In history, he's proven himself that he's for us. He's not against us. So that's the deal. We have to learn to trust the Lord. How do we learn to trust him? We get to know about him from the word of God. We meditate on the word of God. We interact with God, not just in a book, but we build a relationship with him. And we talk to him throughout the day, and we let him talk back to us. And the more we get to know him intimately to that level, our trust grows. 
And let me end here. It's not just a matter of trust. It's a matter of obedience. <clears throat> look at verse 26. Not only did the Israelites not trust, look at their attitude. 26, yet you were not willing to go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. <clears throat> Excuse me. You rebelled. You rebelled. You rebelled. You rebelled. You did your own stuff. And God basically says, because of that, all you are going to perish in the wilderness. All you adults, you're done. It's over. I'm going to let your kids go in. But because of your lack of trust and your disobedience, it's over. You can't. And they people panic. They say, oh, man, we screwed up. We dropped the ball. So look what they do. In 41, uh, it says, they say to, to Moses, we've sinned against the Lord. We will indeed go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every man of you girded on his weapons of war, regarded as easy to go up into the hill country. And the Lord said to me, say to them, do not go up nor fight. For I am not among you, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So God said, do not do it. It's too late. You rebelled. You're going to suffer the consequences. The people blow them off. 43. So I spoke to you, but you would not listen. There you go. Instead, you rebelled. There you go again. The same word against the command of the Lord. You acted presumptuously. You went up into the hill country and the Amorites who lived in the hill country came out against you and they chased you <clears throat> as bees do and crushed you from Seir the Harmoth. That's the bigger picture. But as I'm beginning to wrap here, here's the good picture. Look at verse 35. Not one of these men, this evil generation, shall see the good land which I swore to give your fathers. Except, get this, except Caleb, the son of Jehovah. I don't know how you say his name, Jehovah, whatever it is. He shall see it. And to him and to his sons, I will give the land on which he has set foot. Because here it is. He has followed the Lord fully. That's true of Caleb, and as we see in the context here, also of Joshua. They have followed the Lord fully. And there's the challenge I give to you, and I have to give to me simultaneously. Are we following the Lord fully? So when the Lord prompts you by his spirit to do something, are you willing to do it and step out and do it? Or do we drag our feet and say, ah, I'm not ready. I don't want to do this. Uh, you're taking me out of my comfort zone, Lord. I like to be in control, like in the car. I want my hands on the wheel. I don't want to be sitting on the, the back seat somewhere. I want, I want to run the show. And the challenge is, are we willing to say, God, you got me. Hook, line, sinker, whatever you want. I'm willing to do it. And a thought you might think about is this. Why are we afraid to obey? Why don't we want to obey? Because I think in a sense, it gets back to a trust issue. Because I don't think God wants the best for me. I know what's best for me. So if I don't trust the Lord, I'm not going to be willing to obey him. But if I know who he is, and I know God loves me, and I know that God's good, and that he's for me. If I know that, I can trust him. And if I can trust him, then I can obey him. So it all goes back. Know the Lord, which leads to trusting him, which leads 
to obeying him. Last statement, there's an old hymn uh, in a Methodist hymnal, and I'm sure it's not just the Methodist hymnal, uh, but I'm sure you've heard it. It's called Trust and Obey, okay? And here's the line, Trust and Obey, there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So brothers and sisters, if you want to have an abundant, happy, joyful Christian life, I'm not saying pain-free, I'm not saying problem-free, that's a given. But in the midst of all that, if you want to have an abundant, full life in Jesus, then by the grace of God, we have to master two things. We need to learn to trust the Lord at all times, and we need to learn how to obey him and do what he asks us to do when he asks us to do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Deuteronomy 1. Thank you for the lessons, Lord. Uh, and Lord, you gave us uh, just living proof right here in your word of the Israelites. You showed us, Lord, where they messed up. Uh, and I believe you're saying to us in our generation, learn from their mistakes. Don't do the same things as they did. So, Lord, I just pray for each one of my brothers and sisters. Lord, not just as a group, but individually. Lord, I pray for each of us that you would allow us to enter into an extremely deep and intimate relationship with you, where we really get to know you, not just in our brains and theologically, but where we build a friendship with you all day long, where we talk to you and you talk to us. And I thank you, Lord, as we build that friendship, Lord, our trust is going to grow stronger and stronger. And I thank you, Lord, that as we trust you, then we will be more inclined than to to step out and say, okay, Lord, if you ask me to do something, you know what you're doing, you're good, I'll obey you. So Lord, work that into us, work that into Fusion Church, work that into your church worldwide, uh, that we may be living examples of your goodness and your kindness and your love. So bless my brothers and sisters, Lord, uh, and allow us to become a blessing to others. And it's in your name we ask it, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you, folks. Trust and obey. Amen.